chapter we're going to carry on in our on our study of uh, Samuel and quite frankly first Samuel 18 as we start digging through it um, is somewhat of a downer compared to first Samuel 17 because we just finished on this high note of David overcoming Goliath because of the spirit of God that is upon David it's actually God who does this right and so, First Samuel 18, the narrative begins to slow down, but it's packed with nuggets. And I believe God's going to speak to us today. Let's read the entire chapter, First Samuel 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the son of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the woman sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had a great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. David said to Saul, Who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at that time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the the Melophite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. 
And therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law? Since I am a poor man and have no reputation... And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David. It pleased him well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Lord, these are your words. Would you speak to us now? May it not be Elroy, but may it be your spirit your name we pray. Amen. Trying to figure out how to divide this has been quite the task, but I thought where I would like to start this morning is actually sometimes, I don't know about you, but I read a text, a scripture, and I come across a trouble or a problem or a question or even something I'm confused about, and and that becomes a mental block in my brain. And I can't get past that to get to the text. And I think in this text, there's a few of those. Um, Let's deal with maybe one of them. And maybe you have another one or a few others. And feel free to come and talk to me after the service. But did you notice the barbaric way of of getting a wife? 104 skins. David was excited about that. He went after 200. And... I don't know about you, but sometimes when you, we read the scriptures, and we, especially the Old Testament, we go, that is barbaric. How can that be good? And a couple things I think is important for us to understand is, first off, understand that the Philistines, they, the Israelites were at war with them. The Philistines were their enemies. The Philistines were the ones who had enslaved them. So Israel was a nation that was enslaved and was trying to overcome their, their, the ones who enslaved them. There, there, was a, there was an ongoing, they were, they were in war. Secondly, we need to understand that God had very clearly said, because of the Philistines and the others in the area, because of their sinfulness, that God was using Israel to be their judge. Not that because Israel was morally superior to the Philistines, because the nation of the Philistines and other nations had so sinned that uh, God was going to judge them. And God, 
for whatever reason, chose to use the hand of the nation of Israel. Now, on top of that, I think sometimes we struggle with those things because in the back of our mind we're going, we are, such, we are far more cultured and we are far more, is that the right way to say it? We're morally superior. We're just getting better. We're progressing and we're getting better all the time. So I did some Googling. Statistics Canada tells us that in 2016, in the nation of Canada, there was 611 homicides. Now, we could go, we're way better than some nations. But when you start comparing us to a lot of nations, we aren't that good. It's 611 homicides. That's 611 people. Not people we're at war with, but these are our own people. On top of that, there were 777 attempted murders that year in the nation of Canada. We're not barbaric. You add to that number 21,014 sexual assaults that year, convicted, okay? Ouch. That's Canada. That's this gentle people of ours. On top of that, we look at over 100,000 children every year in our hospitals and our abortion clinics have been slaughtered. I don't think we have the right to stand up and say we are better than Israel of 1000 BC. I encourage us to chew on some of these troubling passages, but let's understand them in the light of the context and understand them in the light of who we are. We are not morally superior. Now that's a really good, positive way to start a sermon, isn't it? Let's carry on. I'm dividing this section, chapter 18, into three sections just because we have to somehow wrap our head around it. The first area I've called entitled that Jonathan loved David. The second title or area is Israel loved David. And the third one is Michael loved David. And I'm going to peer into chapter 19 because I think there's some parallel passages going on in chapter 19. So that should get us out of here by 4 o'clock. Okay, so hang with me. Jonathan loved David. Israel loved David. Michael loved David. In fact, that word love is, um, is a key word six times in this text. And David is the object of this love in every case. Jonathan loved David. Um, but not only did, did they love David, I want you to see some themes come reoccurring as we walk through this. Um, I want you to notice that David success is growing so in chapter 18 verses 5 14 15 and 30 that phrase is he's successful wherever he goes and then i want you to notice you probably heard it there's this growing uh, distaste or displeasure it's a nice way of saying it that saul has for david and it's repeated over and over. We see it in 8 and 12 and 15 and 29. And then in, in, in a couple places, in the midst of Saul's violent threats, we have this incredible, beautiful phrase, and the Lord was with David. And I think that's the heart of the text. Okay? So Jonathan loved David. Israel loved David. Michael loved David. 
David's growing in his success. Saul, King Saul, is growing in his displeasure for David. And David has a presence of God. Let's take a look at Jonathan's love for David. I think it's interesting. Not only does Jonathan love David, but I think the author is trying to compare Jonathan and Saul. And he holds them side by side. And if you take a peek back to chapter 17, after David comes up back with uh, the, the head of the Philistine, the Goliath, Saul's talking to Abner, the commander of the army, and he says, uh, whose son is this? And, and, and when you read that in light of chapter 17, you think, remember, Whoever kills Goliath is going to get the king's daughter and is going to have, his family is going to have no more taxes. And so he's got to know who's, the, who's, who's, who's dad because he's got to free him off the taxes. But I think in chapter 18, verse 2, we begin to really see who Saul is. In chapter 18, verse 2, we see, And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Remember Samuel warned the people of Israel, If you want a king like the nations... I'll tell you what kind of king you're going to get. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your stuff. He's going to take it to build his kingdom. In chapter 14, Saul attaches himself to the strong men, the valiant men. Well, now he attaches himself to David because David is going to be good for his kingdom. I think he wanted to know who his father was because he needed to know where he couldn't go. He was supposed to get the girl. We're going to see a little later that he doesn't actually get the girl. He says, well, you need to go and fight some more battles in verse 17. And then he does that. He's successful. But Saul gives the girl to somebody else. And so you've got Saul who takes, and you've got Jonathan, his son, who loves now, there are some people who have written about this, this relationship between David and Jonathan and says there's obviously a homosexual relationship going on here. There are scholars that speak that way because of how they, he loved, how Jonathan loved uh, David and how his soul was knit to David. But the problem with that is, again, we're reading the text through our hypersexualized lens and we're not reading it in the context. And the context of, the, of this passage is Jonathan is not taking. Jonathan's not doing this for himself. Jonathan is giving. Jonathan understands that God had taken the kingdom away from King Saul. He would have known that. He could have read the writing on the wall when David marches in and takes all over Goliath he could have understood that this is probably the guy it, it, I don't think it would have taken a lot of a rocket scientist to figure that out for Jonathan the kingdom is something that he had to put aside because he wasn't going to get it or he could have tried to fight valiantly to hang on to it but what does he do he sees in David Someone who will care for the people and spare the people and defend the people and fight for the people. And what does he do? He takes off his robe. He takes off his royalty and gives it to David. 
he takes off the armor and the, and the weapons. And remember, there's only two swords in all of Israel. Jonathan has one and Saul has one. And Jonathan gives him his. And then he cuts a covenant. He makes a promise. And we're going to see more of that as we c- carry on in 1 Samuel. But there's a pledge between them. We see, actually, we see uh, Jonathan's love fleshed out in the next chapter in the parallel passage, chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. I'm not going to read it for, for time. But in light of David, but, uh, Saul trying to kill David, Jonathan actually goes to bat for David. And it could have cost him his life. Eventually, Saul tries to take Jonathan's life. And, and Jonathan pleads with Saul and talks about Saul, how David delivered the people, how he delivered them from the hand of the enemy. Don't kill him. And for a time, Saul listens. Jonathan loved David. He could have been jealous. I think it speaks to Jonathan's faith in God. I think it speaks to Jonathan's love for God's kingdom. When we look across the aisle and we see somebody who's more gifted than us, when we see somebody who has talents that we wish we had, when we see somebody else's church flourishing, when we see... Do we look across the aisle with jealousy or do we thank God and do we embrace that person and do we, we do we show love to that person do we do we pray for them do we care for them because we are more concerned about God's kingdom than our kingdom it took faith for Jonathan to think like that Jonathan loved David My question is I think of how David, uh, how Jonathan actually confronted his father and said, Dad, this guy delivered us. My question is, is our love for Jesus Christ of such a nature that we are willing to go before a broken world at risk to our reputation? To remind them how Jesus has come to deliver us. Jonathan loved David, but not only did Jonathan love David, it becomes very apparent that the people loved David. Verse 16 of chapter 18. Did you notice that? That all Israel and Judah loved David. Verse 22, we're told that all his servants, the servants of the king, loved David. And at the beginning in verse 7, we see the woman all celebrating and Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. I don't think the women were being spiteful. I think they were just spontaneously responding to what had just happened. These were people enslaved by the Philistines. And, And now they're being freed. And they're thrilled. Now I grew up listening to the stories from my mom and my dad, particularly from my mom. Dad didn't say a lot about those things, but um, 
Mom would talk about how the Canadians marched into the Netherlands and freed them. And, and she talked about there was singing, there was dancing in the streets, there was Canadian flags and, and the Netherlands flags flying for the first time in some time. There was uh, German soldiers handing chocolate out to the kids. The kids hadn't, my mom would have been 14 at the time. They had not seen chocolate in some seven years. There was a spontaneous outburst of joy. I think that's what's happening here. It wasn't a slap at Saul. It was, they were just speaking reality, and they were thrilled. But it's interesting that King Saul, we are told he was angry, he was displeased, he was afraid, and he was in fearful awe. He was jealous. And he was worried, very clearly says, this guy is going to take my kingdom. But was, his, was it his, his kingdom? It was never his kingdom. It was God's kingdom. He was simply a king who was the, an under-shepherd taking care of God's kingdom. It is important for us to take a look in the peak and understand and actually listen to what makes us angry and what causes us to be afraid. What is it that wakes you in the middle of the night that you are afraid of? What is it that makes you angry? It, it's, it's those things that underlie the anger and the fear that actually tell us what we really love. Saul loved his reputation and his kingdom. people love David. Listen to what James says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He later goes on, you adulterous people. That was Saul. couldn't have so he was going to murder adulterous he loved something far more than he loved God I think it's important for us to consider what we truly love now in that context we see that that in the midst of that whole thing uh, God's spirit had rushed upon David David was anointed king. We're told that he then, this next scene, we, he has to fight Goliath. He comes into, the, into Saul's household and he's playing the, the harp, the lyre. And, and then we're told that these spears start flying at him. It's like, I'm thinking he's probably going, what did I sign up for? What did I sign up for? I was going to be king. The Spirit's upon me. God's with me. Life is going to be good. I'm reminded of Jesus. The Spirit falls upon him. God the Father says, well done. Well, not well done. This is, my, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? 
And then what happens? The spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil wants to destroy him. But David's following a similar path. To lead the kingdom means you're going to have to go through persecution and difficulty. And that's what's going on in David's life. And it's only, it's only beginning. It's only going to get worse. The path to the kingdom is filled with great difficulty. And finally, Michael loves David. I want you to notice, it's interesting, Jonathan and Michael, two Saul's children, love David. Um, Michael, Michael is given to David by Saul, not so much because Saul cared for his daughter, but because he thinks this is the way I can get this guy killed. There's a great scheme, a great plan. Go after a hundred military leaders of the Philistines and see what happens. Of course, God prospers David, and David is successful and more than successful, and he comes back, and he gets the bride. In chapter 19, we see Michael again. Much like Jonathan, I think it's verses 8 through 17. I encourage you to read it when you go home. But Michael stands up to King Saul and protects David. And it could have cost her her life as well. And she lies and hides and helps David escape as King Saul wants to kill David. There's this growing risk for David and there's this growing anger for Saul and 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 in that context yes David is loved by others but I want you to notice in every case where it speaks of Saul's anger there's this phrase the Lord was with David verse 12 and Jonathan said to David the Lord the God of Israel be witness I'm sorry verse chapter 18 I'm in the wrong spot verse 12 Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Repeated again in verse 15. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Verse 14, right before this, says, For the Lord was with him. And then again in, in, in verse 30. In verse 28, The Lord was with David. The Lord was with David. That's significant, and it's at the heart of the passage, and I think it tells us something. It, again, David did not succeed in these things because he was so skillful with a slingshot or with a bow. He should have been killed by the hundred Philistines. He shouldn't have had success when he went after 200. Goliath should have killed him. One battle after the other, he should have died in that context, but the Lord was with him. Who is the Lord? The Lord is none other than the God who was, the God who is, and the God who always will be. For David, the Lord was none other, none other than the one who created the heavens and the universe. He spoke and the world came into existence. For David, the Lord was none other than the one who spoke to Abraham and said, through you all the nations would be blessed. 
for David, the Lord was none other than the one who had called Moses and had freed his people by his grace and by his power and brought them out of Egypt. For David, the Lord was none other than the one who had rescued him from the bear and the lion and then rescued him from Goliath. And I think that this David, it's, it's hard to prove when he wrote this, but Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's the phrase in there? And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I think David is writing the, the words to that song, and he's singing that song as the spears are flying at him. I think David's singing that song. Not only as the spears are flying at him, but he has to escape from his own home, from his own father-in-law. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you. The God who created the heavens and the universe, the God who freed us from the Egyptians, the God who spared me from the lion and the bear, you are with me. David was loved, but above all, he was loved by the one who was with him. My question to us is, Jesus said something to us. He says, I send you like sheep to wolves. The wolves he's talking about is the world. There will be some who hear us tell the story of how Jesus has delivered us and they will respond, and they will be like overjoyed, and they will be thrilled. We have been sent out as sheep, sheep like going to wolves. Sheep are helpless, and wolves are devourous and powerful. And when we go and declare the love of Jesus and our love for Jesus... It will hurt. It will cost. But Jesus said, I will be with you to the very end of the age, Matthew 28. Will we trust him? Will we obey him? Will we love him? Or instead, will we hang on to our own kingdoms? Let me pray. Lord, your love is, is beyond my ability to comprehend. And yet, by your Spirit, you give us the ability to comprehend. Thank you. Help us to know you. We have prayed this week that we might know you that we might know Jesus Christ, the one you have sent, because in knowing you, that's eter there's eternal life. And so, Father, I pray that like David knew you and sung of you, I pray, Father, that we will know you and sing of you. 
But no matter what the cost, we will sing all the more. Father, may our love for you be like Jonathan's love for David and Michael's love for David. And whatever the cost, Father, may we obey you. In your most precious name we pray. Every week I need to hear the gospel again and again and again. I need someone to remind me of the story because if I forget the story, I get sidetracked and, and the whole nine yards. And one of the reasons why we gather around the table is we stop to remember the story, how Jesus' body was put upon a tree. He died in our place. And how his blood was shed on our behalf and, and that's all we're doing is we're remembering and we're trying to remember so that we will go out and explain and share the love of Christ for us. And so around this place, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to join us. Uh, we don't like to come alone because we're a family. And so come, enjoy. Enjoy this Jesus.